who are joining us in the sanctuary and online today. It's good to be able to study God's Word together. I'd like to invite the ushers to come forward with Bibles. If any of you would like to borrow a Bible during the service today, uh, just indicate that to the usher and you can use it during the service and then return it at the back of this worship space today. Today is the first Sunday of the season of Advent, and Advent is a season for preparing our hearts for Christmas so that when it comes, we can be spiritually prepared to receive and celebrate what Jesus' birth really means in our world and in our lives, and to really get that he's the one that our hearts have been waiting for. And the reason that we celebrate Jesus' birth in December is really more about what Jesus' birth means for the world than about a historically accurate date. Because scholars tell us that since the sheep were out in the fields at night, Jesus was probably born more around the time we celebrate Easter. But what fun would it be to celebrate both Jesus' birth and resurrection in the same month, right? We've got to spread them out. So instead, about a thousand years ago, the church settled in on celebrating Jesus' birth around the time of the solstice in December for symbolic reasons. Because before Jesus' birth, the dark world was looking for a savior. And then after Jesus' birth, the light came into the world. And it's actually pretty cool how that symbol works for us, at least in Minnesota, because let's face it, it is really dark out there, right? <laughs> Especially during Advent, it gets dark early and the days are getting darker right now. And it's right around when we celebrate Jesus' birth that the days start moving from being darker and darker to gradually starting to be lighter and lighter, a little bit more every day. That Advent is the season that acknowledges that we live in a dark world, but Jesus brings hope. That Jesus came to walk this earth with us, that he's here by his spirit right now, and that he's promised to come again to make all things new. And for that reason, I've always really loved the line in the Christmas hymn, Joy to the World, that says about Jesus, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. I love that line because the truth is, in our world right now, we don't have to look very far to see the curse, do we? It seems like the curse of sin and brokenness and fear, it's all around us, and it seems to be seeping deeper and deeper into many different corners of our world and our lives, right? But as far as we can find the curse of sin seeping into our world, Jesus came to make his blessings flow even deeper. And I think we need that promise now more than ever. And I think that's why when I was out shopping in Hudson with some friends a few weeks ago, something really caught my eye. It was a decorative sign that simply said, more faith than fear. And I saw it and I pointed it out to a friend and she immediately liked it too. And she said, I like that, that's great. Because we're always gonna have some fear, but if you have more faith than fear, that's the kind of life you want. That really resonated with me because there's been a lot of fear in the air lately. But we have faith in one who is so much bigger than those things. And I was already planning on mentioning that moment in Hudson and the sermon today when my birthday came around. And guess what that friend got me as a gift? <laughs> yeah. This is going to live in my office to remind me to ask the question, am I living out of a base of faith? Or fear today? Do I have more faith than fear? Because it's true, as long as we live in this broken world, far as the curse is found, we're always going to have a little bit of both. But what's going to help us have more faith 
than fear. Well, I can tell you what helps me have more faith than fear is remembering who it is that I'm putting my faith in, and it's not me. Remembering Jesus' heart and his character and his love. Remembering that it's Jesus who is Lord. Remembering whose I am, that's what gives me more faith than fear. But we always need to be reminded, right, of his love for us. So let's take a look at what Jesus is showing us today in our teaching today. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Luke 8, starting with verse 40. I'm actually going to be paraphrasing a lot of this story today. Uh, But if you want to look along with the text, you can see what's happening in the text as we go through. And in this text that we're going through today, it's not hard to see where the curse is found. That's pretty obvious. The first person we meet in this story with Jesus today is a synagogue leader. And so obviously he's a man of faith and of some position in the community, and his name is Jairus. And Jairus has a 12-year-old daughter who he loves, who is dying. And he is clearly afraid. He's terrified. Jairus has done everything he can think to do, everything that's in his power to fix it and make it better, and nothing has helped. His daughter is dying. And when he sees Jesus, what he sees is his last hope. And he goes and he throws himself at Jesus' feet and he begs Jesus to come to his house. It's not a very dignified thing for a man in his position to do, but that's love for you. And I imagine at that moment, fear is actually what's driving Jairus more than any faith. He's desperate. He's going to try anything. And so he comes to Jesus. And how does Jesus react to that? Well, Jesus doesn't ask him what he believes. He just goes with Jairus. No questions asked. Jesus recognizes the heart of a loving father, and he acts out of immediate compassion. And so he goes along with Jairus. And this area of the world is pretty small, so you can bet most of the crowd would have known the local synagogue leader, and that makes this a high-profile event that's happening. Everyone was going to want to know what happened. And so the crowd is thick, and they're pressing around Jesus and around the disciples as they go. But then all of a sudden, unexpectedly, in the middle of that crush of the crowd, Jesus stops, and he looks around, and he says, Who touched me? And Peter, always the disciple to state the obvious, points out to the crowd, and he says, What do you mean, Jesus? Everybody touched you. But the Holy Spirit was showing Jesus something that nobody else could see. In verse 46, it says, But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Now all of a sudden, there's a mystery to solve. Because somewhere out in the crowd, God had silently and powerfully changed a life. Who was it? And why? Well, for us to know that, we have to back up to Luke 8.43, which says, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. So let's speculate some backstory here. If this woman had been bleeding for 12 years, we can guess she's probably at least 24 years old. And in that society, under the law, her condition would have made her ceremonially unclean. And as an unclean person, she couldn't worship in the temple. She couldn't sit on a bed or a chair that anyone else would touch. And if anyone touched her, either on purpose or by accident, they would be unclean. And it would cost them days and sacrifices to undo the unclean of her touch. So knowing that, can you imagine how even people who really cared about her would start to avoid her after a while? Untouchable for 12 years. 
Can you imagine that kind of emotional and physical isolation of her life? This wasn't her fault, but you can still imagine the kind of shame that she would feel being avoided by everyone. And then she hears that Jesus is coming into her town. And if Jesus can heal lepers, he can certainly heal her, but how could she get to him? She could stand at a distance and try to call for help, kind of like the lepers did, but would she? Can you imagine if you had been living with that kind of shame for 12 years? As desperate as she was, could she believe someone as great as Jesus would even want to hear her, would want to help her? No, in her mind, the only chance she had at a healing would be to steal it, to sneak in and touch the hem of his robe as inoffensively as possible and then get away unnoticed. And why just the hem? Because she's unclean. To reach out and touch Jesus, who is a rabbi, a holy teacher, that would be totally unacceptable. And as it is, this is a huge risk. She'd have to do this in secret because what are the odds in putting this plan into motion that she wouldn't touch anyone else in that crowd? Not good. And how do you think people would react when they found out she'd snuck in and inadvertently made them unclean in the process? Not good. She was clearly afraid, but she knew that Jesus had the power that she needed, and so she, getting to him was worth risking everything. And because her faith in him was stronger than her fear, she took the leap. Now think about these two women we've heard about so far. Could they be more different? The first one was a beloved 12-year-old child who had lived with 12 years of constant love and care, whose father Jairus was fighting for her, interceding for her. She was claimed by the love of a powerful man. And the second was an outcast. And she'd lived with 12 years of isolation and pain claimed by no one. And not a soul on earth could help her except Jesus. She had nothing but faith. And do you see why Jesus had to stop? And do you see why, what that says about who your Savior is? You see, the fact is, if Jesus hadn't stopped, she still would have been physically healed. Jesus didn't have to stop for that. That was already done between this woman and the Holy Spirit. Jesus stopped because the Holy Spirit showed him that there was more that needed healing in her. And so he stops and he asks, who touched me? And in verse 47, it says, Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. And you can imagine why she'd be trembling. Because in her mind, she was guilty of stealing a healing and risking contamination of the whole crowd. She couldn't imagine she was being called out for anything but judgment and condemnation. But she can see that the jig's up, so she confesses. And Jesus shocks her by saying in verse 48, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now, every single word of that sentence is important. Because many times when Jesus is talking to someone in the scriptures, you'll see him talk to the, refer to them as woman or man, a kind of generic greeting. But here, Jesus very specifically chooses to call her daughter. Well, she already knew she was a woman. <laughs> what she needed to know was her value. So with that one word, Jesus was telling her, you who have no one to speak for you, I claim you. You're not invisible. You're not an irritant. You're not an inconvenience taking my time away from someone more important. I call you daughter. 
Jesus starts by healing her self-worth, framing the situation in his love, and then he goes after the second thing that needs healing, her guilt and her shame. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. You didn't steal this healing. You didn't take it against God's will, as if that was even possible. This is meant for you. Among the four to six people who had been touching Jesus at that time, the Holy Spirit specifically recognized your touch of daring faith. So receive it joyfully, without any shame or fear or hiding. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now, I wonder if Jesus hadn't called her out and spoken those words out loud to her in that moment, could she have gone in peace? But now that Jesus had publicly proclaimed her healed by God, who in that crowd could be mad at her? Who could call unclean what Jesus had proclaimed clean? She was reintroduced to them all as a new creation, set free, and set to go back into community with them as one of them. Now, what do you think Jesus healed in her by doing that? A friend recently shared with me a quote that's just been kind of resonating in my heart recently. I wanted to share with you. It's a definition of compassion. Compassion is to stand in awe of what someone else is carrying without standing in judgment of how they're carrying it. See, Jesus didn't waste his time judging this woman's method of bringing her burden to him. He just saw what she was carrying and he helped set her free. That's Jesus' heart. And does knowing that about Jesus bring some light into any corner of darkness in your heart? Do you know that you cannot go unnoticed by this Jesus either? Is there something you want to bring to him? Jesus calls this woman daughter because she needed to know that she was loved by God just as God loves you, just like Jairus loved his daughter. Did you forget about Jairus? Well, at this moment, he gets news, and it's not good. In verse 49, it says, While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. I hope you never feel how that dad felt in that moment. There's so many things in life that we try to fix, that we try to change, and we just can't change them. The truth is, Jairus couldn't have loved his daughter more. He couldn't have done more. We're so quick to beat ourselves up with blame. But death is the ultimate enemy. And none of us, in our, the best of our human strength, with all of our smarts, all of our resources, we can't fix this one. No amount of our love can defeat death. For that, it takes the love of the Father above all fathers, the Lord above all lords. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You see, our love can't defeat death, but Jesus' love can. Jesus' love led him into death on the cross for our sake and through death into life for our sake. And when our power comes to an end, Jesus' power will hold us. And this kind of time is the time when we need to know that matters the most. In the face of his very worst fear realized, Jesus asks Jairus for faith. 
He says to him, don't be afraid, just believe. And when they get to Jairus' house, there's a bunch of mourners outside, and Jesus tells the mourners, she's not dead, she's asleep. Why would he say that when everyone knows that she's dead? Because the truth is where Jesus is involved, death is not permanent. And it was going to be very true in an earthly way for this little girl in that moment because Jesus was about to raise her back to life again. But it's also true for us. Because the truth is one day all of us will die too, unless Jesus comes back first. But by dying for us and rising for us, Jesus changed death itself from an end to an entrance into life. Where Jesus is involved, death is not permanent. And knowing that, we can see that what he did for this little girl, he'll also do for us. In Luke 8:54, Jesus took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. And she got up and she lived. And if you are his child, that's your future too. You see, Jesus can heal the body on earth, and sometimes he still does today, but that was not ultimately what he came to do. His ultimate purpose was to restore us back into eternal relationship with our Heavenly Father so that even death will never be able to separate us from him. Jesus came to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found, even the curse of death. And through his cross, as far as the curse can be found, Jesus has given the hope of new life because he came to meet us right where we are. So Jesus raises Jairus' daughter back to life and then strangely told the family not to tell anyone. And that might seem particularly strange because a few minutes ago we saw Jesus announce the healing of a woman to everyone in the square. So why advertise that miracle and not this one? Well, this is what I think. I think for both of them the answer is love. Because for the woman healed in the square, it was really important that everyone knew that she was healed and reinstated. But Jairus lives in the fishbowl of leadership, right? He's a person that people talk about over their water coolers. And it might be easy for him to think that Jesus performed this miracle for him as a PR opportunity. But Jesus didn't heal this little girl to get the endorsement of a synagogue leader. He was moved by the love of this father's heart. And by commanding them not to tell anyone, Jesus was saying, this miracle isn't meant for the marketing. It's just for you. That's Jesus. Isn't he beautiful? You see, God doesn't interact with us all in the same way as if we were all the same. He knows each one of us, and he knows what we need and the challenge or the encouragement or to be stretched that we need to see him at work with us. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And he knows that there are things in this world we simply can't fix. And for those things, he calls us just to lift up holy hands and say, Abba, Daddy, pick me up. I need stronger hands than mine. And he's the God who sees. He's the God who loves. And he knows that this broken world can be really awful sometimes. And that's why he stepped into it through the cross to show us that even though in this world we will have trouble, he's not going to abandon us. And that's who our Savior is, this Jesus. And only because he is who he is, 
only because he is risen to be Lord over all creation, only because he alone in the end is going to have the last word over this world, can we live with more faith than fear. Because we know him. And we know that whoever dares to believe, to reach out trembling hands, to touch the hem of his robe, is going to get caught up in his joyful embrace. So if that's your Savior, the one that you have been waiting for, in this world of darkness, how can you and I live with more faith than fear? How can we be part of making his blessings flow far as the curse is found in this world? Well, I think it starts with seeing where the curse is, right? In our community and in our world, and then asking, where do we see Jesus' blessings moving? How can we be part of that? And in our community right here, there are many who live with the curse of hunger or homelessness, poverty, isolation and loneliness, lack of hope. And it takes more faith than fear to be able to step out of our comfort zone and reach out with the love of Jesus into those places. And so on December 17th this year at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning, that's what we're going to do together as the community of grace that Jesus calls us to be. We're going to honor the one who came to give himself for us by letting our lives be vessels for this blessing to flow into those places of curse in a broken world. So we're going to pack food kits for the hungry, and we're going to make quilts for homeless families. We're going to take homeless families roller skating as we clean their shelter. We're going to bring joy and comfort to the isolated and the homebound in care centers and homes. We're going to feed families who have a sick loved one and honor first responders in our community. Because the truth is we don't have to look far to see where the curse is found in this world, but we believe and we trust that in Jesus, God's answer has come and his blessings do flow farther than the curse ever could because they flow from his eternal promise for every heart that will come to him. But how is this world going to know Jesus' love for them unless they see it? And how are they going to see it unless they see it in us? And in this dark season, we'd like to invite you to pray about who Jesus might want to use you to invite him into knowing him. And we have a card available for you today to take home and invite someone else to come and serve beside you on the 17th or invite them to come and worship with you at Christmas. Because what our world needs is more faith than fear. And there's only one source for that beautiful faith that changes the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the beauty of your love for us. We thank you for the way that you see us and that you know us, that you want to restore us and give us hope and faith and peace in the middle of a broken world. We thank you, Lord, that we can trust you, that you are here with us, that you loved us so much you went all the way to the cross to show us that there's no place that you won't be beside us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to trust in you and help us to let your blessings flow in us into this world. Help us not to be ruled by fear, Lord, but to be ruled by faith, faith in you and your kingdom. Let your kingdom come in us and through us. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Today 